You are listening to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Claire O'Brien. In healthcare, we have so many questions about what's trending versus what's actually the truth. So on this show, we're going to get to the bottom of it. It's health, it's wellness, it's beauty, explained by the people who actually know what they're talking about. Welcome back to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I have Marissa Lee here today, who is so sweet and wonderful, and I'm so excited for you guys to hear from her. She is a speaker and an author. She actually wrote a very, what I would say, beautiful book called Grief is Love, and a lot of the things that we talk about in healthcare are super, you know, a lot of grieving, um, super relevant to what she, the space that she's working in and and the things that she's talking about, and I'm going to let her tell you about, you know, her inspiration basically for the book and everything and the work that she's doing. But thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This is so great. After having an opportunity to sort of follow your journey on social media, I'm grateful we're actually chatting live. This yeah, is yeah. Well, thank you. Anytime people um, suggest someone to have on the podcast, it typically turns out to be just a really great experience because I, I don't... Um, I run out of ideas and I don't know everybody. So I love it when people, <laughs> when people send in people that I'm, I'm like, Oh, it was so great. And then I read your book and I was like, Oh my God, I love it. I love this person. So I'm really excited that you're here, but, yeah. um, just tell everybody kind of a little bit about yourself and, and gosh, I mean, where to start with how you decided to write this book. Yeah. So, uh, I'm going to go back in time a little bit. Okay. When I was 13, uh, one day my mom got sick and she just never uh-huh. got better. And it turned Mm. out she had multiple sclerosis and we didn't realize it until almost three full years later when doctors found damage in her brain caused by the disease. And so I think looking back, that was probably one of my first big grief experiences, but Uh you know, I I was a kid and it was the nineties. So we weren't really talking much about feelings back then outside of like the Oprah show. Um, and so fast forward, uh, I made my way to Harvard. I'm getting ready to graduate, you know, literally the week of graduation. And my mom had been really sick my senior year and her doctors just couldn't figure it out, couldn't figure it out. And then finally, um, an orthopedic surgeon actually found lesions on her bones that turned Mm -hmm. out to be stage four metastatic breast cancer. So breast cancer plus MS. And I, you know, I will never forget when we got the diagnosis. I I knew just enough about cancer at 22 to know that stage four cancer was not something good. And, you know, I I knew she was going to die. And so I actually ended up spending a year at home with my mom and dad, just helping them figure out how to navigate a really complicated and costly and time-consuming health situation. So I did that, um, and I I will never regret the opportunity to spend that extra time with her. And right. from there, I went to work on Wall Street, and at the same time, just continued to be sort of secondary caretaker for my mom and committed myself to doing everything I could to both prepare for her death and to make her life as comfortable and as fun as possible while she was still here. And then the day came, you know, I had just turned 25. My mom had just turned 49 
and she died in my childhood home. And I thought that because I was so honest and, you know, just upfront about what was happening, I never tried to act as though she might somehow be okay here. You know, I knew she was going to die. I prepared myself for it. I did all of the research on grief and loss and death. And so I thought that when it happened, I was going to be like, I'm ready. Not great, but yeah, like yeah, typical yeah. type A fashion. I was like, I'm going to be okay. And yeah. then it happened and I was like, very not okay. And because I am also stubborn and had done all of that prep work, I spent the first few months after she died, just beating myself up and basically trying to talk myself out of my grief, you know, trying to rationalize it and somehow make this experience make sense until finally about six months after she died in August of 2008, I hit a wall and I decided, you know what, like maybe there isn't anything wrong with me. Like maybe the problem is actually in how we talk about grief and loss Mm. and what Mm -hmm. we expect from grief. And so I decided at that point that I was going to write a book about grief that wouldn't be sad and depressing And that would tell the truth about what grief is. And that would be a New York Times bestseller. And so far we've checked (laughs) two out of three boxes. Yeah, casually. (laughs) You know, like as as a young person who'd obviously never written a book before. um, Very, very low goals. Um, And so I, I knew from that moment that like I needed to write this book. But I wasn't ready. You know, like I, I wasn't. I wasn't even in a place where I felt like I fully understood grief, you know, six months after losing her. And so I threw myself into other things and I got a job working for former President Obama and made my way to D.C. and fell in love with a guy and got a dog and got married. And then Mm -hmm. as we were going through the process to become parents, um, you know, learned that somewhere along my journey of caring for my mom, I'd actually lost the ability to conceive naturally. And so after years of IVF and, you know, all the doctors and the shots and everything else, we finally got pregnant um, uh, about three years ago. Yeah. In 2019. And then we lost the pregnancy. Yeah. And there was something about that loss that just brought me back to my mom. You know, all I wanted was my mom to like take care of me, to help me, to give us advice about what to do to start our family. And that's when I realized that like the grief doesn't go away. You know, you have to figure out how to live with these life-changing losses. And that Mm -hmm. experience became the inspiration for the book that came out in April called Grief is Love. And everything in it centers my belief, which thankfully is also backed by research, that it isn't about getting over it. You know, you're, you're not mm-hmm. going to somehow wipe your brain clean and erase the memories of the relationships you had with people who are no longer here. So mm-hmm. what you actually have to do is learn how to live with it and figure out you know, what it looks like to continue to have a relationship with your person in the present tense. And so that's what I've been doing. And that's what I'm advocating for others to do as well. Y'all, let me tell you about my absolute favorite home store of all time, Celadon. 
So they have everything from dinnerware to pillows, furniture, they even have jewelry. And yes, it's located in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, but their website has everything you could possibly need and they ship anywhere. So Celadon has like a laid back but curated vibe and no joke, almost every piece of furniture in our home has come from Celadon. So if you're in Charleston, definitely stop by or visit them online at celadonathome.com. And because they are awesome, they gave me a 20% discount code. So check them out and use code DABBLECO20 for 20% off. That's celadonathome.com. So tell me, I kind of want to go back to your childhood through, through college when your mom, you know, was first chronically ill before she was acutely ill. And I wonder, you know, did, did you ever connect? Okay. That I wasn't able to fully grieve. Like when you're in caregiver mode, you, you're not grieving, right? Like you're, you're in survival mode, like fight or flight literally. And, and so you're not, you're not grieving, even though you probably think that you are somewhat and probably like the cancer, right? Like you did all this preparation and, you know, you knew she was dying, but at the same time you're in survival mode. And so you're not really able to truly mentally grieve or, or maybe, maybe you mentally grieve some, but you're not able to physically grieve. I mean, grief is very physical process. So I would love to talk about really grief and what families go through one, because I'm sure a lot of people are listening that are either going through grief. I know I have a lot of people with pregnancy and fertility, um, pregnancy loss and fertility issues. And, and that's so, so much more significant than we give it, give it, we don't give it proper weight. Yep. Um, number one. And then number two, I know I, I have a lot of healthcare providers who listen and, um, you know, we often don't hear this part of it. You know, yeah. you see your patient and I, I was in cancer care for 10 years. I did breast for two and then head and neck for eight. And you, you literally are also, you're as the provider in fight or flight mode and survival mode. When you're seeing the person in, in your office, I would love to sit down and talk to everybody about how they're doing at home. What's your support system like, you know, how's yeah. your family handling this, but you can't, you just can't, you've got eight yeah. minutes, you know, to just make so life changing decisions, right? It's, it is crazy. Oh my God. So you're, you're focused on, you know, life, make the decision, make the medical decision, and you don't get to get into this with all your patients. And so you can really very easily forget that people leave your office and they're going through a lot. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I mean, I will say, um, I didn't, create space for feelings when I was in caretaker mode, you know, I, I instead chose to focus on the things that I could control, mm-hmm. which were, it was, it was twofold. It was one, you know, doing whatever I could to help my mom and my dad, you know, picking up my sister from her activities doing the grocery shopping, helping with like the meal planning and cooking or laundry or Survival. You know, whatever. Yeah. Like those very practical things that yeah. moms and dads usually do until one of them is sick and disabled. Um, and two, you know, doing what I could to both like reduce their burden and make mm-hmm. them proud. So I was yeah. all about doubling down on my success at school. 
you know, from starting a nonprofit when I was a sophomore to always running for class president and, you know, doing Mm -hmm. national honor society and playing sports that I wasn't even very good at. You know, I, I was, I was all in on being a source of both relief and joy for them. And it wasn't until I sat down to write grief is love that I really started to reckon with my own feelings about my childhood and adolescence. Um, And I realized that there's definitely some resentment that I had to work through. You know, like I never stopped to acknowledge the fact that my adolescence and childhood were very different from most of my friends. Right. Right. Um, So, you know, for folks who are listening and are going through it as caretakers, I just want to encourage people to give themselves permission and space to feel, even if it's only a little bit, you know, like I know how hard it is to be in that caretaker mode, but even if you can just take a few minutes a week out for yourself, I do think that it can help lessen the burden that you're carrying. Supplements and vitamins are just a part of so many of our daily lives now. So how do we know what to choose in a brand? My family personally uses Thorn. Thorn has partnerships with hospitals and universities across the country, including the Mayo Clinic and Charleston's own Medical University of South Carolina. You can order any Thorn product through me when you create your account at thorn.com slash u slash dabbleco, and you'll receive 15% off and free shipping on all your future orders. When you create your account, you'll just be prompted to confirm dabbleco as your referral and the discounts applied in the cart after you create your account. Again, that's thorn.com slash u, like the letter u, slash dabbleco. And you can also find the direct link in the show notes. And did that realization that you had resentment for just how different your adolescence and your childhood looked, then I would imagine with that would come great guilt perhaps, or just like a a weird, it's gotta be such a a weird dichotomy of, of feelings about your parents who you obviously adore and they couldn't help, you know, your mom couldn't help it, but yeah, but neither can you. So yeah. No, super, super weird. This book required a lot of processing, Mm -hmm. lots of boxes of tissues, lots Mm -hmm. of therapy, plenty Mm -hmm. of bourbon, um, Mm -hmm. because it was, it was hard. And then for me, you know, obviously my mom is gone. uh, So it's not like I could have any of these conversations with her, but thinking about, you know, my dad reading grief is love and, reading about my adolescence from my adult perspective. Like, yeah, like it was waiting to hear what he thought of the book was definitely hard. Um, He loves it. He's super proud. Oh oh my gosh. So, so proud, so thrilled, so honored and just grateful, you know, like all positive things. Um, But yeah, it was, it was really hard to, reckon with that. And it it also forced me to think about my parents in a different way, you know, as people who are obviously deeply flawed, you know, we both have children, like at some point they're going to be adults and they're going to be judging us for the decisions that we're making right now that, you know, are based in love and that we hope are like the best possible decisions for them. But you just, you know, you just have no idea. Um, And so there's a lot of there's a lot of grace there that I think is required on both sides because it is hard and complicated. 
Yeah, and and you know, you said in the beginning it was the '90s, and I uh, grew up in the '80s, and we we didn't we really didn't talk about feelings much, and that now no. the pendulum has totally swung the other way, and I feel like all we do is talk about feelings, and so I know. I, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> Right. Like we'll probably then figure out at some point that it should be somewhere in the middle. Like, yes, we do yep. need to talk about our feelings, but maybe not like all the time. Maybe you just need to put on your shoes, you know, like maybe, <laughs> I, maybe like I, I don't need to validate everything. Maybe you just need to put on your yes. shoes for a four year old. Yes. Um, but in, in, as a parent now, because you did, you got, we're telling you guys just adopted a baby a year ago, you know, so as, as a parent now, are there things that you can look back and say to other parents or to other families kind of going through similar things? Like, gosh, I just wish we had my, you know, my parents had said, Hey, it's okay to be sad or like, I don't know. I don't know what that looked like. And and you may not even know what, what would have been the right thing to say. You know, I think it is as simple as like, I wish that whether it had been my parents or another adult, Like, I wish that there had been more awareness for my mental and emotional state and, like, the stress that I was under. You know, you're in the medical profession. Like, you know that there are very real impacts of, you know, stress on the body and on the mind. You know, I look back and I started having stomach issues, you know, like reflux and other challenges when I was... 15. So exactly Mm -hmm. 18 months after my mom first got sick and like nobody was connecting those dots and saying, you know, maybe instead of putting this kid on meds, like we could start by getting her a therapist or something, you know, like, so I I think that there are some good shifts that have happened from when we were growing up versus now. And I would just encourage people to really, to be mindful of kids who are in situations where they're required to be caretakers. It's a lot. Even, I mean, even when kids aren't required to be caretakers, there's so many things that they do that or say that don't translate to the way that an adult would explain it. And Mm -hmm. I was talking to a friend about this the other day that like our kids, we just have to be so mindful of where these complaints or whatever they are are coming from, because while it may seem like, you know, Oh, they just, they don't want to do their homework or they don't want to go to school today or whatever it is like your stomach issues. Um, My husband went through something very similar and there was a very much something underneath it that could have been and should have been addressed. Right. But exactly. Whether it's, we're not paying attention or, I mean, I think as adults too, you just think, well, they know how to, you know how to explain it. Like you have the verbiage for that, but no. no, no, you don't. Half the time, I don't even have the verbiage for that, you know? And I mean, when I started having these stomach issues at 15, like, I just, I I didn't connect those dots myself because I was 15. You know what I mean? Like, in retrospect, I'm like, oh my God, that's so obvious, Lord. But back then, I was like, yeah, I have a stomach ache. Like, how do we make it go away? Like, that's all I care about. Yeah. Um, so, So, yeah, I would say that bringing that awareness and just always asking questions, I think Uh with kids is really helpful for getting at like what's really going on here. Um, And I want to share something that I think you'll appreciate. One of my girlfriends, this woman has seven kids. 
uh, between God ages of three her. and 15. I know she had them every two years from Ugh. like a year after we graduated college. But she said, and I was like, oh, that's so fascinating. She said, today we are parenting our kids to be the best possible adults in the future based mm-hmm. on our past experiences. She's mm-hmm. like, we are bound to make a ton of mistakes. Oh, of so, course. Again, that piece right. around grace, you know? <laughs> yeah, the, the, the pendulum. I mean, it's just, yes. yeah, like our parents didn't talk about feelings enough. We're going to talk about feelings too much or wh- yep. whatever it is, you know? And there's yep. always going to be something where we're, you know, doing a 180 and really could have, should have just pivoted just a little bit and you probably would have been, <laughs> been fine. But uh, yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And is there, so when you think about, your mom's cancer and going through that because Mm -hmm. that you were, you know, probably more aware and uh, an adult, a young adult. I mean, still twenties, your twenties. I mean, you're technically an adult. I didn't know anything. Yeah. But but like like your brain is (laughs) like, you're not, I mean, are there, are there things that you feel like during her treatment and, and illness and then ultimately passing I'd love to hear if there are any things that you could pass on to healthcare providers of like, Hey, this is something that would have been really helpful to my family or, you know, did you know that this resource existed? Is there a lot of times there are things that exist in terms of resources for patients that we, I will tell you guys, we are totally unaware, like totally unaware. You can't be aware of, of everything. You're, you're mostly trying to stay on top of, you know, what you, again, fight or flight, what matters, which is keeping the patient alive. And so, you're, there are some really great resources for patients that we're just never, we're not aware of. So any, any tips you can think of there? Yeah. So in terms of resources, um, you know, I think the biggest thing, and this is obviously a trend right now in healthcare. Um, and this is going to sound so basic, especially to someone like you, who I'm sure does listen carefully to all of her patients, but just actually listening to people. You know, my mom was dismissed by doctors for about yeah. six months before about pain her cancer, or what? about pain before her yeah. cancer was discovered. Um, you know, essentially told that it was in her head. Um, and she was someone who, you yep. know, doctors who knew her well, knew her to have a very high pain threshold and a lot of patients just from being sick for so long. Um, and so I like, I hate to think about, and I try not to think about how much time was wasted and also how much time maybe could have been gained at the end of her life if people had actually really listened to her earlier on when she was struggling and in pain and having all of these secondary health issues um, that actually all stemmed from the cancer itself. And Unfortunately, like I do think that in her case, a lot of it came down to race, gender, and education yeah. level. You know, like yeah. my mom's someone who barely graduated from high school, uh, black woman, and it just it kills me to think about yeah. what wholeheartedly you missed agree. out on. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, if it if it makes you feel any better, which it probably doesn't, but by the time someone's feeling physical, like bone pain in the setting of breast cancer, right? Like she, I mean, not that this makes anything better, but I mean, yeah, that's what I I assumed. 
Um, but I didn't actually know that for sure. So that is, that is helpful because it feel, then it feels less like so much time was wasted. You know what I mean? Um, but But still, but it's still, you, I mean, it may have, it may have bought more time. I mean, you never, you never know. And I, and I will say, I mean, I've absolutely seen and, and witnessed. Um, and I think, even to just as a woman, I'm certainly not a woman of color, but I mean, I have absolutely been dismissed, you know, as a woman, um, in, in medicine by my, by my own colleagues, um, (sighs) you know, and ended up jokes on them, like had to have brain surgery guys. So, you know, like it turns out, (laughs) I'm just saying like, it's so, it's so valid. I mean, it, it is. And it's so valid, um, that, you know, women and, and we talk about gender and race and socioeconomic status, education, and all of that truly plays into biases that we may not even realize that we have, but they're, but they're very real. And I've seen it in medicine. And I would think that most people who, who actively practice would say on some level, they've seen it too, whether they really realize it or not. When you, when you think about it, you, you know that you have, Um, so I hate that. I hate that you guys even had that kind of cloud over it. Um, but, but yeah, just, just know by the time it's, it's in the bone. So breast cancer is, uh, so there's most cancers typically have four stages Four four obviously is the worst, but there are some cancers where stage four is curable. Um, but breast cancer is not one of them. So by the time it gets to the bone, that's stage four. And, um, you know, and now, now the therapies that we have are, are different and may have, you know, bought her some more time, but, but probably not. I then. Mean, this was 2005, like, you know, yeah. which listen, was not that long ago. Was it? That was not very, that was not that long ago. It's, <laughs> not, I'm like, let's not age ourselves, but we, <laughs> here we are. No, but it is crazy what's changed. I will say in cancer in the last 20 years, I mean, immunotherapy particularly has just revolutionized, um, cancer care. So even, even 15, 20 years of medicine makes just a massive difference, but okay. So when I wanted to ask you just to, I probably should have opened this. When you yeah. say grief, like, do you, what do you, when you explain to people what grief is, like, how do you explain just grief in my yeah. head? I'm like, well, it's sadness, but it's so much more than that. So how do you explain grief or define grief? Yeah. So uh, a couple actually answers to that. Um, First of all, it is more than just sadness. The way I define it in the book is grief is the repeated experience of learning to live in the midst of a significant loss. And while my book is obviously heavily focused on the loss of my mother, the loss of our pregnancy, and then I also lost Mm -hmm. a young cousin to COVID in 2020, I tried to write it in such a way, and this is just something that I personally believe you know, I don't think that grief is just about death. I think that grief is really any time you have a set of expectations for your life and suddenly they are changed or upended on mm-hmm. you. So that it, obviously death is a big part of it, but it can also be divorce. It can mm-hmm. be the loss of a job. It can be serious illness. Like we all know what grief is from that moment in March of 2020, where we went from going to work every day, going to the grocery store, living life, whatever, to all of a sudden everything being shut down. That, Mm -hmm. that loss of expectations, that loss of 
sort of future hope, um, that is what grief is fundamentally. And I say that it's not just sadness because while it does often show up as, you know, sadness, disorientation, anger, you know, those kinds of more challenging emotions that we tend to think of. I also think about grief as, you know, me thinking about how my mom might react to something stupid that my dad just said. I'm like, I'm not sad. I'm actually just rolling my eyes or laughing because I know she would think, oh my God, what an idiot or whatever. Um, Grief is also, you know, me finding ways to incorporate her into my wedding um, and into my son's life. You know, he's, he's not going to know his grandmother, but I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that he has some sense for who this woman was. Um, So yeah, that's, that's how I think about and define grief. So when you say grief is love, what does that, because I'm sure people are like, oh, is it? Like that's. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because when you you think about love, it's like (laughs) all positive and happy rainbows and Hallmark movies, right? So you're like, no, you're like grief sucks. Um, So we say that grief is love for two reasons. One, fundamentally, if you didn't love either, you know. Mm -hmm your life the way it is or the way you expect it to be, or this person who's no longer here, you wouldn't feel anything. Like you wouldn't care. Like the grief wouldn't exist if there was no underlying love. And what I realized after our pregnancy loss and why I came to really define it as love is that of course I still love my mom That's why I'm so sad that, you know, she's not here to help me navigate this, to support me, to comfort me. Like I never stopped loving her, but fundamentally love is both action and feeling. And so while I may still feel my mother's love and I very much do, she's Mm -hmm. not here to act on it. And that causes the pain. So like the grief itself isn't where the pain comes from. The pain comes from the inability for these people you love to actually act on that love in the way that you've come to expect. And yeah. so the, the, the primary underlying research for grief is love is something called the continuing bonds theory, which essentially argues that one of the healthiest ways to move through the worst parts of grief and learn how to live with loss is to find a way to continue your bond with the deceased because the love is still there You're just missing out on those actions with them. So Mm -hmm. what are the things that you can do to continue to have some form of relationship with them? It's obviously not the same. You know, I would give you my right arm if you could give me my mom back, but you can't do that. And so what I have to do instead is, you know, perfect roast chicken and feed it to my husband and tell him all about how we would have roast chicken at least one Sunday a month after church. Um, or, you know, plant her favorite flower in our garden out back and like get really excited every spring when, you know, the stargazer lilies start to pop up. Like you, you have to find sort of your own ways. And this is why, you know, grief is love is not meant to be a step-by-step guide to living with loss because everyone's experience with grief is different. And I'm hopeful that the book can be used more as a compass to give people, you know, ideas and sort of inspiration for how to do it on their own terms. Do you ever find yourself frustrated with 
ways that other people are grieving, like, and you may not just because you're so versed in grief and knowing that everybody grieves differently, but I feel like it can be really um, difficult on relationships when one person is grieving in like a, a, maybe a more conventional way versus the other person grieving a little bit more uh, unconventionally or maybe not outwardly grieving at all. So I wonder, I was wondering if you ever experienced that and find frustration in it, or if you, even if you don't, how do you, how do you help guide people that are grieving in, in different ways? Like, did you and your husband grieve in different ways about the, well, with the probably, right? I mean, <laughs> no, like, not at all. Not at all. The so same, it's funny. The same. When you, yeah. when you asked the question, I was like, have I been frustrated? And I was like, I don't think so. And then I was like, oh, that's a lie. Um, so first of all, I was very frustrated after my mom died with my father, you know, I didn't think he was doing enough to Mm. help himself. You know, like I was like, we should all be in therapy, you know, maybe even think about different medication options, like at least, you know, kind of do the baseline things to take care of yourself because this is really hard and awful. So like, I definitely judged him early on, uh, when we first lost my mom, I, managed to move past it, understanding that everybody is different and his path is not the same as mine. Just like his relationship with my mom is not the same as mine. And with my husband, I mean, it was really hard. And this is fundamentally what makes grief both in relationships and in the context of family hard. You know, everyone has their own unique relationship with, you know, with the pregnancy loss, with like that situation or like with the individual And so not only are we all just different people built to process things in our own unique ways, we're Mm -hmm. also kind of grieving different things, even if Mm -hmm. we're grieving the same person. Mm -hmm. And so for Matt, you know, when we lost the pregnancy, he just immediately let himself fall apart. Like I literally left this man on the stairs in our house, like sobbing while I, on the other hand, went to Walgreens because I was convinced that the doctor had mixed up my blood test results with someone else's. So I was going to get my own pregnancy test. I was like, I'm really sorry. You're so upset. I'll be right back. I have to go like, yeah. In the car off. I went You're in like La La Land. Yeah. Oh, totally. Like La La Land to such an extent, you know, I remember standing at the checkout line. I, I literally said just like a quick, you know, 15 second prayer for this poor woman who thought she was still pregnant and wasn't like, I actually felt empathy for this person in my mind who actually turned out to be right. me. Um, and so that was how we started out. <laughs> it was me. It was actually me. It was me. Oh. It was me. Um, and oh. then in the months that followed, you know, because of my underlying health condition and the pregnancy loss itself, it took a really long time for me to get back to, a normal, healthy place. So I was both, you know, dealing with the physical consequences of miscarriage, obsessing over whether or not I could somehow by some like miracle from God, get pregnant independent of IVF or maybe get pregnant some other way. Matt was actively processing and like working through it on his own. And so eventually I became a source of frustration for him because we were in such different places. And yeah, 
you know, we just had to be really honest about it. You know, I felt like he didn't have enough empathy for me. He felt Mm -hmm. like I was stuck. Um, and by being honest and giving each other the space that we needed to like do what we needed to do separately, Mm -hmm. that's what made it okay in the end. Um, but it was really, it was really hard for a few months and really frustrating. And I was physically sick. Like it was miserable. It was miserable. So if you've been following Dabbleco and me for any length of time, you know that I'm super careful with anybody that I endorse or any partnership or brand here. So the goal is always to share evidence-based medicine and things backed by actual science with our audience and our followers. So I was thrilled when BetterHelp approached me to do a partnership with them. So thank you so much to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. BetterHelp is an online platform that connects you to counseling in an incredibly convenient and affordable way, which I think are the two biggest barriers to counseling, access and affordability. So I was actually really surprised when I looked up their rates for counseling. They were a third of what I feel like I've ever heard and what I've personally paid. Um, It solves both of the problems with literally the click of a button on the internet. So I have personally seen the benefits of counseling. I know firsthand how important it is, and I know it plays a crucial role in mental health. So check them out, and they will know that I sent you, and you'll get 10% off your first month of counseling if you head to betterhelp.com slash dabbleco. Um, So it's super easy, betterhelp.com slash dabbleco. Thanks, guys. I think you said something that's so important, being honest with each other, and it's honesty you can't even be honest if you're not communicating. I think that's such a huge yeah. part of, you know, what happens in relationships is you think, oh, this other person knows me so well. Like surely they know. I don't why need to I'm, say anything. I'm, yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, under, they get it. They know what I'm good, but no, they, they don't. And, but also, you know, it's complicated sometimes. Um, I think to, with a spouse or any part, anybody, even a friend or a partner, whatever, somebody that you've been in a relationship with for quite some time, there are times when my husband or even good friends will point out like, Hey, I see you processing this in this way, because this is how you process things. And I'm like, no, I don't, but I definitely do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, you know, like you, they, they even know you better than you know yourself at times. And so it's, Yes, communication, but also in that internal dialogue that you may not even know to have with yourself or how to have it with yourself. And having, like, I love you've said grace multiple times. I'm like, gosh, grace, such an important word and and theme that we've like lost the nuanced ability to have. But um, yeah, just that, that internal dialogue and, and grace for people that are in your life trying to, to to speak into you in a productive way. Yep. Now, not everybody's trying to speak to you in that way, but also true. You know, if it's someone, yeah. a person that you feel, you know, is, is safely trying to, to be a productive person in your life, then, then really yep. having the space to listen to that person, which is easier said than done. And I'm sure all anyone that's listening to me, that's actually in a like friend relationship with me is like, LOL, Claire, like, thanks. <laughs> like, <don't, laughs> LOL, Claire. I love it. I try you guys. I try to listen to you. Oh, anyway. Okay. Um, gosh, well, so where are you, where are you now in the process or do you, you feel, I mean, it's just constant ongoing or. 
Yeah. So it's funny. I am in, I'm in a weird place because there's a lot of life change happening and career change happening. And I've come to realize that change is definitely a grief trigger for me. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, just cause my mom was so good at being supportive and encouraging and just a, an easy place to go and vent when things mm -hmm. get hard or confusing or overwhelming. And like the loss of that is still something, you know, at almost 40 that I continue to feel. Um, and then, you know, on the pregnancy loss front, I don't feel, so tomorrow is actually the anniversary of when we lost our pregnancy. And I don't feel particularly sad. I feel like I have more just integrated that really hard time into my life in a way that I hope gives me more empathy for other people. Yeah. Um, but, you know, with my mom, it just, it just comes up from time to time and I just have to sit with it. And sometimes it's really joyful, you know, like thinking about how to, incorporate her spirit into my son's first birthday party, mm -hmm. uh, which is coming up quick like that. Like I, I actually enjoy that. Like that makes me happy and makes me feel really connected to this woman who loved parties and celebrations and birthdays and holidays. Um, and then there are other times where it's just like, man, I really wish you were here so that I didn't have to do this thing or that thing, you know, on quote yeah. on my own. Like I have a wonderful supportive partner and a million best friends, but there are still times where I'm like, yeah, I'm basically right. on my own without my mom. Right. Yeah. Oh, bless it. You know, well, I think being in community with people who are going through similar things can make you feel less alone. I mean, I know hundred percent. I feel like, um, you know, the, the, the pregnancy loss and fertility, um, community has really done a, a, a good job more recently of, of making themselves more known, yep. making people aware that it's, it's there and that that space exists. Um, cause it just was something we didn't just didn't talk about for years, decades. I, I mean, the centuries until kind of now. Um, and so what you're doing, you know, creating this, this community through things like this book and, and just speaking and, and all of that is, I know helping people, you know, feel less alone. So, so where can Thank people you. find you and the, and the, the work that you're doing? Yes. So grief is love is available wherever books are sold. Um, it's at Amazon target, Barnes and Noble, most independent retailers as well. And mm -hmm. everywhere online, I am Marissa Renee Lee. So you can visit my website, marissarenaylee.com, Instagram, mm -hmm. Facebook, Twitter, all the places I'm Marissa Renee Lee and would love for folks to follow along. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much um, for coming and sharing this time. And I know, um, I know you guys are going to get some just really great um, advice and thoughts from this, this episode. I really loved it. And as always, please take a second to rate this episode and rate the, rate the show, share it with your friends. And as always, I'll see you next week. Bye.